went to go teach. In this one particular classroom, a student walked up to me and asked me if I was black. And that was, to him, was probably like the most innocent question that he has because they hardly ever see any person of color there. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. This is more than a moment. It's a movement. Hey, it's Danielle. Welcome to Black Educators Matter. Our goal is to share the stories of 500 Black educators. We will celebrate the impact and achievements, learn from the lessons and challenges, and highlight the important roles that educators play in all of our lives. I'm excited to welcome today's guest to our show. As a do now, please tell us your name, your role in education, and answer the question, why do Black educators matter? Hi everyone, my name is Morgan Nichols. My role in education, I would say I do a little bit of everything. As of right now, my current role is I teach drug awareness and life skills to sixth to ninth graders. I also teach a host of other things as well. And I wanna say black educators matter because when you look at a black teacher, someone who you can relate to. You see someone standing before you and speaking all of this knowledge to you. You know that there is some kind of connectness there. You know that this person comes with experience and you know that this person speaks the truth. This person is, is honest about his or her experiences or about whether they've experienced this indirectly or directly. And you know that that person is there to help you. So they matter because they know that we matter. I can't wait to unpack more of your origin story to find out how you ended up um, teaching drug and life skills to sixth and ninth grade. But before we get to unpacking that, help us understand a little bit more about you. So where are you from? I am from the south side of Chicago. <laughs> Born and raised in Chicago. I want to say childhood, it was spent on the west side. And then my mom we slowly transitioned to the south side where I spent the rest of my teen years in the hundreds in Roseland area. I attended Corliss High School. And then from there, I ended up leaving to go to college. Okay. So, so how was it for you? living in Roseland, also living on the west side? Like, what was the experience that you had as a child? Well, let's see. I don't have much memory from living on the west side. I do know that I stayed there with my dad's out of the family when I was younger. And I only have one memory where it was super cold outside. But being in Roseland, it was such, that's where... I spent the majority of my time at, but I do remember constantly having to move because my mom was trying to get us away from, I guess, the bad neighborhoods, I guess. So, yeah, I spent most of my teen years moving throughout the, the Roseland area. Chicago is so block by block. Yes. It is yes. so oh block by block. <laughs> I'm glad that you said that because... The neighborhood that we lived in, it would be like full of old people, I want to say, like senior citizens. So she made sure that our neighborhood, our block was quiet. However, the neighboring blocks 
it was crazy. It was wild. So, yeah. Where'd you attend college? Did you decide to go to a PWI or an HBCU? And what led you to choose your choice? PWI, I went to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Funny story is I, in high school, I really didn't think too much about college. I was just flowing through high school and I didn't really start to, I mean, you have your guidance counselors. They will mention college, especially in your junior year and people will go on these college tours, but it really didn't hit me until probably my senior year when everyone else was filling out their applications. Well, when everyone else was getting responses from college about where they was going in scholarships and I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is what they were talking about. So that's when I started filling it out. I actually didn't want to go to an HBCU, Grambling State University. I wanted to attend there, but they needed more information from me. And SIU accepted me. So Mm -hmm. I was just like, well, I guess I'm going there. And SIU, it was a place that wasn't too far from home. It wasn't too close neither, but wasn't too far away. Yeah. And I went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So Mm -hmm. about two hours from Chicago, I think about four hours from Southern. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody mm-hmm. from Chicago says that when we talk about like why we chose to stay in state, it's like far enough, but close enough. Exactly. I'm like, it's far. They can't get to me, but <laughs> it's close enough where we can travel. Yes. So, so when you were in college at Southern, did you know that you wanted to go into education? Did you know you wanted to be like this family advocate, community advocate, teaching life skills? No, I did not. Actually, I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to be a lawyer. In high school, I was always speaking up. If a teacher would let this person go to the restroom, but not this other person, I would be the one to speak up and say, no, that's not fair. And, you know, and things like that. And I would always get in trouble and have to go see the dean. And the dean one day asked me, he said, hey, Miss Nichols, you should join a debate team. And at that time, I said, the debate team? What? I'm too cool for that. No, not the debate team. (laughs) But then I really started to think about it. Like, wow, well, I mean, I do like to debate and I do like to read. And I thought because I like, I enjoy doing those things that that should be the main reasons why I should go and become a lawyer. So that was the idea for me to go and become a lawyer. And it changed because I ended up changing my major 20 different times before I settle on what I have now. So (laughs) that's a real experience for people, especially if you did not go into college declared, but you went to college because you, that was the next step. Mm -hmm, Like you're supposed mm -hmm. to do this. So then you do it and then you get there and you look around like, Oh, I was supposed to have a plan when I got here. I was supposed to be able to, socially adapt to whatever new environment I was supposed to academically perform and I was supposed to start really practicing adulting by having long-term strategy and connecting this class my freshman year to whatever I want to be four years from now Mm -hmm. and and you know going through those experiences I realized that I wasn't as disciplined as I thought I was because having to attend those classes and then I actually, I got a job too on campus. And so having to wake up in the morning, I mean, I'm an early person, but like my mom wasn't here to 
wake me up. Like she didn't cook me breakfast. I had to do all of that stuff on my own. I had to, no one was telling me or calling me say, Hey Morgan, go to class. You know, and class was just so sporadic throughout the day. Like you had a class at eight o'clock in the morning, then another one at 12. And it's like, okay, what do I do for those four hours? But it just put me in a mind state that I wasn't as disciplined as I was during college. And I really had some skills that I needed to develop on. So so what did you, what major did you decide on and how did that translate to your current role teaching students? I decided on journalism, specializing in advertising with a minor in psychology. Oh! <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> okay, journal- but, journalism with a focus on advertising with a minor in psychology. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. that is such an interesting lens to teach life skills through. Yes, yes. Especially in the age of social media and doing everything for the gram and TikTok yes. and Snapchat. Okay, come on, marketing and advertising with these life skills. So that's where you decided. What was your first role? Like, how did you put those skills into play? Well, I want to say it, it didn't happen overnight. A lot of my experiences I got through college, especially when I went back for my graduate program in professional media and media management, because then again, it took me a while to even figure on if grad school was something that I wanted to do or if I wanted to get back into the world or go back to mom's house or however the case may be. And so even then, like that was a last minute decision too. but. With that, like I said, it didn't happen overnight. I really didn't get into it, into my role until now. I am a very creative person and I like to be flexible. I don't like to have hours from nine to five or eight to four thirty. Like I don't operate like that. Mm-hmm. And so having that flexibility, going to go teach a class and then having the rest of the day to myself to do whatever it is that I want to do, that's the kind of lifestyle that I want. So now I want to say in the current role that I have, it allows me to do that and it allows me to be creative at the same time, which is coming up with communication campaigns as well as talking to the students about being creative and about life skills and even about drug awareness. Like I tell them, majority of this information you probably already know, but you just didn't think that you know. Mm -hmm. And you have these skills already. You just didn't, you know, put two and two together like, oh, you know, I've done this before or I I tell my friends this. And that's a lot what happened with me until someone tells me like Morgan, like this is the skill that you have. And I'm like, really? I just take that as a day to day, something that I do daily. Like I didn't think, you know, it was something that that was as profound as that something that I can speak on and say that this is a strength that I have. So, yeah. Come on, talking about life skills. I think that that's one of the important reasons that we have mentors and that we have people to help Mm -hmm. us identify the strengths that we have. And even with life skills, understanding how the strengths and the perspectives that we have can play out in real life experiences, like role Mm -hmm. plays and talking about different scenarios with kids and giving them opportunities to like, play around with certain answers like well what Mm -hmm. if you are presented with a peer pressure situation and there are drugs and it's your friend and an older family member what do you do what if it's you know like all of these different scenarios and kids can have a safe space to like explore their answers so that in real life when it shows up 
So with this, teaching them life skills, we talk about decision-making skills. So we role-play on scenarios, and we go through different steps to making good decisions. And I tell them, like, you know, you all are pretty much making good decisions, but now we're just sharpening up these skills. So in order to make good decisions, what are some of the steps that we need to do? And how can we reflect on those decisions as well so that we was to ever get put in a situation again, then we'd be able to say, well, we didn't like the results of that one. So we may need to switch it up. Or I like how I felt with this one. This was a, a positive outcome. So I want to continue that positive outcomes when it comes to decision making. Other life skills we talk about is once again, like we mentioned before, is peer pressure. How to say no. How do you even know that you are being put in those peer pressure situations, who is considered to be a peer. A lot of them thought that their aunts and uncles or maybe their teachers or their parents were a peer. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, no, not they're not your peers. It's like your peers considered to be someone around your age. So I wouldn't be considered to be your peer. So we, we talk a lot about that. And we talk a lot about how do you know that you are in these situations and what to do? How do you say no any situations there are many different ways you can say no so whether you want to come out and say no no thank you or you're going to make up an excuse as to why you can't do it but i tell them if you're going to make an excuse then it has to be realistic like don't say you have to go assist your brother and you don't have a little brother right. like <laughs> no that's that's no. not long term that's not going to get you to the long term i mean unless this is someone that you just need to get away from them and you never going to follow mm-hmm. up but like if this exactly. is a person that is in your life and mm-hmm. they are presenting you with these high pressure situations you can't keep making up excuses like that every time you go exactly. run out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we talk about other ways to say no, like to sound like a broken record. So you just keep saying no, 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 no. And so that person just just get it. So these life skills that we talk about, as I say, like they already have them, but we're just shopping them up. Like they they're doing it. They're saying no and, you know, they're making these good decisions and things like that. We talk about feelings. So your emotions, that is a big thing when I discuss over with them with the lessons too, is how to identify your emotions, what it is that you are feeling, how to understand what it is that you're feeling too, and how to express that. Because I tell them like, even in your adult life, there are adults here who still don't know how to articulate their emotions and they're still battling that so it's pretty good we also go into drug awareness when you get into those situations so yeah and they tend to learn a lot from it as well this is just one of many stories and we want to keep the conversation going follow us on instagram at blackeducators.matter Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org. Help build the movement by joining our Patreon. Now, let's get back to our Project 500 podcast. What have you seen with your 6th through ninth graders in terms of like drug culture now? So it's 2020, we are, you know, living through some very interesting times. What What's happening with young people and drugs? 
And is it different? Is it even different than it was back in 2000s with teenagers versus like 1990 with teenagers? Is it really that different? I want to say that it's much of a difference as far as the usage, but I would definitely say that the awareness has increased because now in the area that I teach is a rural area. And so when I explain to them and I say, okay, so what are the first drugs that people tend to use? And then they'll go out and say, well, marijuana, liquor, this, that. And I say, well, the first drugs that people tend to use are the ones that are in their community. So the ones that they have access to right then and there. So if you have, if alcohol is there in your community, then nine times out of 10, that's going to be the first one you're going to use. If marijuana is in your community, you have easy access to it, then that's going to be the first one that you're going to use. And we talk about addiction as well. So I want to say that the awareness of them getting this information has increased their knowledge of it. But the usage is still there. They're still using it, probably out of curiosity, to be cool. The list goes on. So as you reflect on the experiences that you've had with students, and you kind of mentioned earlier the connectedness, do you find that you have a shared sense of identity between you and some of the young people that you work with? And if so, how did you recognize that connectedness? I want to say that I do. One, because young, and I look young, so to them, I'm not coming in as this older person who just think that she knows it all. I'm coming in as someone who was fresh, vibrant, and who can relate to them on another level, who can sit and talk to them and say, y'all, I know this is what's going on, but we're just going to talk about it, and I'm not coming in, I'm not talking at them, but I'm talking to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest difference. They also come to me and they share with me what's going on in their households as well. So it's like they are inviting me in. And we know sometimes with children, they tend to overshare. So when you talk about certain things, like they say, oh, yeah, my mom is or my uncle. And he it's like they, they tend to overshare. So typically after school, like they would come after the class period, they would come and talk to me about some of the things that. It's going on in their neighborhood so or in their households. When school was in person and happening in session, um, how did you collaborate with classroom teachers? Over the phone, via email. Yeah, and just to see what their protocols were with me coming in, how did they feel. I have a good relationship with the teachers and as well with the the principal and with the other staffs too. So with me coming in, I just had to adhere to whatever protocols they have put in place. And they know that the students need these skills. So me coming in, it wasn't an issue at all. It was just wear the face mask and... Oh, so you guys are still doing... in So we're recording this in October 20 no it's november november 1st of 2020 your episode won't be posted until next year so you're currently in going into schools in person yes 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 again so where i teach is in the um rural communities like it's southern illinois and so they are still like kids are still in session here Mm -hmm. so yeah 
and you just have to, and they have some plans put in place as far as visitations and things like that. So if you want to come in, you just have to wear the face mask, sanitize your hands. You have to check in. If you're coming in, sign your name. If you're going out, sign your name out and things of that nature. Okay. Well, shout out to them at least having like the protocols in place to keep you and the kids Mm -hmm. and the family safe. Yes. What has been your most impactful moment as an educator? Um, When we say impactful, is it would it go based off like positive or whichever it, it can be a negative experience too. I want to say that one of the things that really hit home for me is because I teach in such a rural area that the students don't really see people of color often. So with me coming in and I, of course, like I have my own biases as well. So I come in and say, you know, oh, I have to tread lightly. Like, I'm only here to teach and I'm going home. (laughs) So having that, so going in with that. But I remember when I first went to go teach in this one particular classroom, a student walked up to me and asked me if I was Black. And as innocent as that question could be, because the teacher, she assured me, she just said, you know, and that was to him was probably like the most innocent question that he has because they hardly ever see any person of color there. That kind of hit me. But then another thing was when they were filling out a document that they had to fill out that it was like a demographic sheet. And it just asked them, what do they identify as far as male, female, um, black, white, et cetera, Hispanic, et cetera. And there were a lot of students shouted out and said, I don't know my race. I don't know if I'm black or white and, you know, things of that nature. And the teacher said, honey, I'm pretty sure you're white. But to me, it kind of struck me like a ton of bricks because it's like, do I let them know that they're white? I mean, it kind of put me in a mind frame of back in my community, our kids are identified as black in kindergarten when they're out the womb it's like they have no choice because if not the world is going to show them but when i'm in an area like this it kind of just i don't know it again back into the households it's like well they don't have to tell their kids that they are white because they know that the world isn't going to treat them like they inferior or they know that they have privilege and so it kind of hit me like a ton of brints, like, well, do I basically ran on a parade? Like, do I do I tell them, like, this is who you are? Because if not, they're going to know when they get older. Is that my place for me to tell them? And so just grappling with that, and, and I still think on that moment. But I'm glad that the teacher told them, like, you know, honey, I'm you put white, you're white, like put white. Because the teacher was a white woman, too. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she was able to tell them that it would have been different had it would have been coming from me, a black woman. What is the demographic breakdown of the, like the students that you engage with? What is it, the demographic breakdown? It's predominantly white student. Yeah. Population because I am in a Southern Illinois area. So those counties are pretty white and conservative. Are they sundown towns? I would say some of them are. Do you feel safe? 
I would say probably, I mean, if I have to wait this long to answer, probably not, but <laughs> at times, at times it can be scary, but I want to say, yeah, at times, if, at times it can be scary to go into those places because they are white and conservative and it's like, they can be pretty closed minded. And here I am trying to teach their kids and they're probably looking at me like, well, what do you know? You know, and they don't know my educational background. They don't know that I have a master's, but even then, if they did know, would that even matter to them? So you you have taken me right to my next question, which is what is the state of education in Black America and how did we get here? Oh, it's a state of emergency. To me, when we look at the test scores, when we look at the reading scores, even when I worked at a public school down here, it's for fifth and fourth and fifth graders. And I saw the test scores. I saw how they were treating Black students. And this was a predominantly white staff teaching predominantly Black students. So immediately, I knew something was wrong. And here I am. I was very excited to be part of the school system. When I went to my first meeting, I was just thinking like, wow, I actually get to be part of a change. I'm here at the first teacher meeting. I can speak up, voice my opinion, you know, a whole nine, like, and they would hear me. But when I looked around and I saw where I was and I saw who I was surrounded by, and then I looked at the population and I said, how doesn't anyone see that this is a problem? Children need to be around people they need to relate to. They need to see themselves. And if they don't see themselves, especially in the school setting, we can only imagine. I mean, we're seeing now what can happen. I mean, granted, arguably, that when students see themselves and they tend to act out, I mean, we can see what's going on in some of the school systems here in Chicago. But it's been proven that people need to be able to see themselves. They need that representation. And when it's not, I saw how they were treated, especially um, in this one case, it, I I can't even get the words out. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. How have you grown since you started your career, especially because you did not necessarily set out to land here where you are when you first were going through with your marketing and advertising and journalism and psych background? Just how have you grown and like what challenges have you grown through? Are you, do you still feel like you aren't as disciplined as you want to be? I still feel that I am flowing through life as I once was, but now I feel as though I have a sense of direction now. So back then it was different for me just flowing through life like a butterfly and just going through it. But now, is flowing through life like a butterfly with a sense of direction. Like, I know where I'm going now. And I've grown in ways to where it, it allows me to speak up more and allows me to not become stagnant, not to limit myself in whatever area that I choose to do. It allows me to still be creative because I remember, that's the thing, like, we are such a, a creative group of people. And I do believe that 
if we are put in positions to where we can let the creativity just flourish, we will persevere. Like we see the amount of creativity that is coming up from out of this, what they deem to be a pandemic, like the arts. Oh my goodness. But I want to say that, yeah, that's how I have grown. I am speaking up more. I'm able to share my experiences when before I didn't. I would just sit by and just watch the world go past and I will be at home in my shell. But now I am put in positions to where I have to speak up now. And it's scary because you have those who may not agree with you, who may criticize you and things like that. But I have to keep going. So I love the way that you describe that flowing with a sense of direction. Cause I say mm-hmm. that like, you know, I'm just flowing cause that's yeah. how it can feel when you don't know what the next mm-hmm. step looks like, mm-hmm. but flowing with a sense of direction. Cause I may not know where I'm going, but I know I'm going that way. Exactly. Exactly. That's how I feel. It's like, yeah, that's how I feel. And if I feel like if I'm staring off course, like something like the wind will like guide me back over here. <laughs> Come on. I love it. So as you think about all of your experiences, your personal experiences as a student moving around the South Side trying to find safety, shout out to your mom for always mm-hmm. looking out for you and thinking about that, and just your experiences across the city, then moving down to Southern Illinois. Are there any Black educators who poured into you that you would like to thank as you just think about your own journey? Yes, I want to say there's a couple um, Dr. Vanessa Thompson. Dr. Vanessa say. Scott Thompson. Yes. <laughs> you know yes, I know her. <laughs> How do you know Doc V? Oh my goodness. Okay. So funny thing is she substituted at Corliss High School one day. And I remember, I remember her and I remember I was the last one in the classroom. I think the bell had rang and I was the last one gathering my things and she pulled me to the side and she asked me why I behave in a way that I do. That sounds like something Doc V would say. Been in Corliss, like it's, I want to say it's it's a little bit of rough. It's kind of rough. So, uh, (laughs) so you, you pretty much, you, you had to. I want to say battle, fight your way all, all the time. You had to defend yourself is the word that I want to use. You had to defend yourself all the time. And because I was quiet and I always found myself in positions where I had to defend myself. And so I remember she pulled me to the side and she said, you know, why do you do what you do? And I said, they don't like me. So I I have to, like, I have to. And she, the words that she said to me was, you know, basically what all teachers who care would say, like, (laughs) you don't have to do that. You know, you have a bright future. You're very smart and things like that. But at that time, I just brushed it off. And, and, And I always thought about that moment. Like, as I went through college, when I graduated high school and I went through college, I've always thought about that moment because she actually reached out to me. She touched me. And she, you know, she did something that no other teacher has ever done before. And what she did was that she showed me that she was there was someone who was always watching you 
and there's someone who cares about you. We may not say, we might not say anything, but we care and we see you. And that's what she did to me. And that was something that no teacher has ever done before. Because, of course, being in high school, you just doing things and you don't know if anybody is ever paying attention to you because everybody's so busy with their own lives. But and then I actually reached out to her. I think it was probably it was some time ago and I reached out to her. I had to track her down. Like, <laughs> but I reached out to her and she ended up calling me and we stayed and we talked on the phone. I told her that I just wanted to thank her for doing that because I often think back on that moment in high school and I still do. And I told her that I was going to get my PhD and she told me to let her know because she will attend. So shout yeah. out to Doc B. <laughs> But yeah, it wasn't easy trying to track her down. Like I had to call, <laughs> I had to call Corliss. Uh, yeah, it was a lot. Another teacher was, is one at SIU. She's retired now. And her name is Miss Anna Jackson. And I remember I wanted to learn more about the Harlem Renaissance. I love, absolutely love the Harlem Renaissance era. And I wanted to learn more about it. And I remember getting in contact with her and she said, all right, she was like, I'll teach you more about it, but it's going to have to be during this time and, you know, things like that. And so I went and she, I had my spiral and, you know, she taught me about it and we talked about the great migration and things like that. And a lot of this information I knew, but because I am at SIU, there are no classes to teach on a Harlem Renaissance. So I was like, I had to reach out and find a professor who will. And she was there. And when I went through my other teaching moments, she was there to help guide me. So I want to thank her as well. Shout out to both of those educators who saw you as a Black girl and like really poured into you. It's so incredible yeah. when we have mentors and black women who pour into us as we are younger mm -hmm. so yeah yes. i love that story it has been a pleasure learning about your experiences <laughs> i will always appreciate a youth advocate and somebody who teaches life skills to young people i also shared that experience with you i taught life skills in mm -hmm. schools it was an incredible experience Inc wow. Incredible experience working with the kids. One thing that I remember is the soda decision making model. Did y'all talk about mm -hmm. that? No, not yet. But what what's about I might have to steal that. Soda. So like whenever <laughs> you need to make a decision, just think soda. S-O-D-A, you know, number one as a Chicago one, I would call it pop, so it's fine. Soda, S-O-D-A, <laughs> stop, observe, decide, and act. So okay. if someone is okay. presenting options with you, you do not have to act immediately. You can stop. Mm -hmm. You can observe. Take a look around. Like, are, why are we here in the first place? Decide. Mm -hmm. You can choose your choice. Don't let anybody mm -hmm. choose for you. And then mm -hmm. act. And act in a way that supports the decision that you made that was based off of the observations that you saw. You know what I mean? Like, it was so incredible because that's stuff that we can take with us every day. Because we yes. forget as grownups, you know, you go yes. into auto mode and you forget like, no, I have a choice. I have mm -hmm. agency. I have a voice. I can advocate for myself with the same energy that I would advocate for someone else. So I'm yes. so glad that Doc V and your professor at Southern 
empowered you so that you could tap into that same advocacy energy that you had in high school that made you want to stand up for people and now teach the kids so that they can teach their families and they can teach their communities so we can all start to make really better, you know, stronger decisions. Sorry, I went on a whole tangent. And no, but it's fine. But that's what I tell them all the time. And it's the same thing that I share with my daughter. And I tell her, like, even when you're in school, it's not just about remembering or memorizing, like, these dates or these, his, like, these moments back in history. I was like, yes, all of that is good. But true education is about understanding. It's about thinking about the who, what, when, where, why, and how factors. It's not just about remembering. So... And that's what I tell them the same thing. I say, you are the only ones who stand in your way. And, you know, these lessons are here for yours to keep, but it's about what you put into them. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey. Everything that you've done, it was, it is, and it always will be worth it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Black Educators Matter. Are you ready to share your story? Visit us online at www.blackeducatorsmatter.org to sign up. Remember, make excellence equitable and thank a Black teacher today.